Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. I'd like to welcome all those in our South Campus and all those watching online. Hope you've had a, a wonderful week. It's been a historic week in America. I mean, we've inaugurated a brand new president, uh, President Biden. It's very interesting to me, but he's the oldest person ever elected president, and yet he was the youngest person ever elected to the Senate. And so um, I want to say, way to go, President Biden, or I would like to say way to go, Joe, but that's probably not respectful enough. But what what an accomplishment. And then to have a historic uh, uh, vice president, uh, first woman to serve, Vice President Harris. And so it's been quite an interesting week. You know, when President Biden started his campaign uh, this past summer, he, he launched a, a slogan that says, we're going to build back better. Now, when I heard him say that, I didn't realize uh, the challenges that we would be facing, you know, as we try to re-engage and build our lives back after this pandemic. He didn't realize the uh, that such uh, a pandemic like that would affect so many people in so many different ways. And so it has truly been an, a season where we have been picking up the pieces and really uh, building back our lives. And that's probably part of the thing that really uh, prompted me to look at the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. As over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about let's rebuild. What does it mean to pick up the pieces? What it, does it mean to build your life on God's word. But you know, before we go there, I like to start with something funny. Uh, did you hear about the, the man that appeared before St. Peter at the pearly gates one day? And St. Peter said, well, have you done anything um, of particular merit in your life? He said, well, matter of fact, I, I have. He said, I, I ran into a group of bikers and they were mistreating a young woman over there. And I looked at this group of bikers and I went to the most threatening one that was covered in tattoos. I looked at him, I smacked him on the head. I kicked his bike over. I ripped out his nose ring and I looked at him and I said, you shall never do that again to her. And Peter said, wow, that's pretty impressive. I said, when did you do that? He said a few minutes ago. <laughs> Some of you will get that a little bit later. He died in the process. <laughs> well, did you hear about the couple that were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary? And went out to a nice dinner. And, and on the way home, uh, the wife was just thinking about everything and looked over at her husband and saw a little tear coming down his face. And she said, honey, said, are you thinking about all the wonderful years that we had together as a family? And he said, no. He said, I'm thinking about right before we got married that your, your dad had a shotgun pointed at me and said, if I didn't marry you, that I would spend the next 50 years in jail. And I was thinking that tomorrow I'd be a free man. <laughs> well, today we are... <laughs> Today, we're going to start a study on the, the life of Nehemiah. 
And Nehemiah was not a pastor. He was not a priest. He was not a, a king or a prophet or a warrior. He was just an ordinary person that really embraced God's dream for his life. And that dream was to rebuild the walls. And today, as we think about what it means to rebuild, some of you are thinking about what it means to rebuild your marriage or maybe rebuild your business or rebuild your health and maybe rebuild a relationship that you find yourself in a place where there's a lot of rubble around your life. I believe that God specializes in picking up the broken pieces of your life and he will put it back together and make it beautiful again. Nehemiah, like I said, was an ordinary person. He served as a cupbearer to the king, the king of Persia. Now, in um, those days, a cupbearer, we would look at that and define it more like a butler. He was a butler for the king, which means that he would taste the king's food before the king would eat it, just in case somebody would try to poison the king and take him out. It was Nehemiah as the butler, as the cupbearer's responsibility to protect him. He was also over the surveillance for the king to make sure that he was safe around the clock. Around the clock. He was an ordinary person. As we look at his life over the next several weeks, we will see how God loves to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things through them. The story opens in chapter one. We meet Nehemiah's brother. He traveled all the way from Jerusalem to talk to Nehemiah and give him an update of what was going on in Jerusalem. So we pick it up in chapter one. We're gonna just stay in chapter one today and we're gonna go really verse by verse through this and hopefully you'll understand the story just a little bit better when we finish out. It said in the month of Keslev, now just pause right there, Keslev um, was really uh, a uh, a month in autumn, probably between November and December. And so that was the time of the year it was in their calendar. In the month of Keslev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Um, and I also asked them about Jerusalem. Next verse, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and they are in great trouble and they're in disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, several years prior to this conversation, Jerusalem uh, had been overtaken by enemy forces and the people had been taken into uh, slavery. They'd been taken into captivity. Now, uh, the, the army came and uh, plundered the city. They dragged out virtually everybody. They destroyed the temple and they left the place in ruins. And at this time, the people, the invading army had been invaded by another army or another country, and that country didn't have any need for these captives, these Israeli slaves, so they allowed them to leave captivity and go back to Jerusalem and resettle or rebuild Jerusalem. So at this point in the story, Nehemiah is asking his brothers, how's it going? How is the rebuilding project going? How are the homes looking and, and so forth? And he said, you know, everybody's putting their lives back together. They're rebuilding their homes. They're trying to rebuild their businesses. 
But the wall is still broken down. Now, that phrase doesn't mean very much to us. The wall's broken down. Okay, rebuild it. You know, what, what's up with the wall? Well, in ancient times, the city wall, when a city's walls were lying in ruin, it meant, it's code word, that the city was in deep, deep trouble. When a city's walls were broken down, it, it would mean that at night, thieves and robbers could come from distant lands and invade the city and steal uh, uh, things from the city. It would mean that when the city's walls were broken down, that the people were vulnerable to all sorts of evil. So when Nehemiah's brother told him that, um, that the wall had not been rebuilt, Nehemiah knew that he had to do something about this. Next verse. Nehemiah said, when I heard these things, when I heard that the wall was down, I sat down and I wept. When I heard the wall was down, I sat down and I wept. For some days, he said, for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed. I mourned, I fasted and I prayed before my God. Got to understand that Nehemiah at this point in his life had a pretty good job. He had a cushy job. He was the cupbearer for the king. He didn't have to care about what was going on in Jerusalem. He didn't have to care about his former life. He didn't have to care about it, but he did. When he heard the news, he didn't just brush it off. But he sat down, he started to cry. That news broke his heart. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Those in our South Campus, let me ask you a question. Those in our atrium today, those that are watching online, let me ask you a question. What is it that breaks your heart? What is it that makes you cry? Is there something that breaks your heart? When you see that happening, maybe it's some sort of injustice and you say, somebody ought to do something about that and it breaks your heart. Maybe it's for you, it's maybe a hurting child or maybe it's a child that cannot read and you think, somebody needs to do something about that. Maybe for you, it's a special needs child and you think, uh, or a child that's been bullied, or a child that's been neglected, or been abused, and it breaks your heart, and it makes you at times sit down and weep over that child. What is it that breaks your heart? Is it the plight of somebody's addiction? that you see that person uh, uh, caught in this cycle of addiction and you long and you so long for that person to be free and you so long for their lives to be changed and it breaks your heart. Or is it something else? Or is it somebody that's homeless? Or is it a child that's been trafficked or abused? Or maybe it's the impoverished. Or maybe you, your heart breaks for, for clean drinking water for somebody. Or maybe just a net so that they would not have to live under the attack of mosquitoes in the wild. Maybe it's for you. It's for those people that don't have adequate health care. Maybe it's for you that your heart breaks for the plight of the unborn. As we this past week noted, um, January 22nd, uh, the Roe v. Wade date. And your heart breaks for those um, uh, for the unborn in our 
community and our culture. What is it? Does your heart break for the middle school and high school students? That when you saw that advertisement for the middle school retreat that your heart breaks for them, does it break enough that you would sponsor a child to go on that retreat that normally couldn't go because they couldn't afford it? What is it that breaks your heart? You know, you can tell a lot about a person when you see what breaks their heart. Nehemiah had felt... um, had, uh, was concerned for the people. He, his heart was broken for the people. But his heart was also broken for the Lord because the name of the Lord, his God, had been mocked. Not mocked by the, the neighboring nations. And so Nehemiah got on his knees and he started to pray. And the Bible says he prayed for many days over this. When you go through this book, and it's, it's not that long of a book, and I would encourage you over the next several weeks to read through the book of Nehemiah and say, God, speak to me through this book. Nine times in the book of Nehemiah, you see that he prayed. He prayed about every decision he made. He prayed about every crisis he faced. He prayed about every criticism that he endured. He prayed. Today is day 22. Yes, today is day 22 of 21 days of prayer. For the last three weeks, we have been calling on the name of the Lord. We have been crying out to God. There have been scores and scores, hundreds of cards on this stage that we have prayed over every day for 21 days, but today is day 22. Day 22 is another day to pray call on the name of the Lord. We cannot allow our prayer seasons to be uh, uh, just relegated to January and August, but we have to incorporate a conversation with the Lord every day. Today is day 22. And I think there's three reasons that you need to pray. I think, first of all, it shows that you are depending on the Lord That today is day 22, and God, I put my uh, hope and I depend on you to bring an answer to this. I think the reason that so many of us, or maybe just me, that we don't pray, we just don't think we need to. We think, okay, I can handle this on my own. That's the problem I have. I can handle this one, okay? I can handle this one, God. When I have a problem, my first response is often this, well, what can I do to fix this problem? That's my first response. Maybe that's your first response. So you see this problem, and you say, okay, what can I do to fix this problem? What if you said, God, what do you want to do to fix this problem? Or God, what do you want me to do to fix this problem? What, what if we come to a place where we're saying, God, we are dependent upon you. We need you because this problem is bigger than I can handle. This problem is bigger than I can handle, but it's not bigger than you can handle. And then we come to a place where we are dependent, that we uh, say, God, that we are totally dependent on you. I think the second reason we need to pray is it, it lightens our load. There's so many of us that we carry heavy loads. You carry worry and you carry fear and you're burdened with that. And it seems like every day with the impending crises that you face, that the worry and the fear factor 
tends to grow. I'm telling you, you need to release that. You need to release that. You're not made to be able to take and to shoulder all of those concerns and shoulder all of those worries. Release that. Give it over to the Lord. Back when I was a kid, there used to be an old song that said, take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Take your burdens to the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've done that. I've taken my burdens to the Lord, and as I go to leave them there, I pick them up and take them with me. There comes a point where I have to remind myself to release this, release this. God, you can handle this. I give this over to you. It lightens your load. Give that burden over to the Lord. I think the third thing, the reason we need to pray is it, it releases God's power in us. We really need a power that's greater than ourselves. We really need the strength of the Lord. Nothing releases power, God's power more than a prayer of faith. That we pray believing that God's going to answer I'm reminded of Jeremiah chapter 33 and 3. It says, God says, call on me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He said, call on me. That when we call on the Lord, he releases his power. He releases his strength. And some of you today, you're in a place where you feel very vulnerable and you feel weak and you feel like that your life, um, the walls around your life have been broken down and that the, 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 the dreams that you once had, they're like broken stones around. And you want to pick them up and you want to rebuild, but you don't have a strength to do that. There is a power that is greater than yourself. It is the power of the Lord. And I, we need to come to the place where we open ourselves up and we call on him and we allow God to speak to us and to show us great and mighty things that we don't know. They'll release his power on us. And some of you are saying, well, Marty said, I get with it. When you pray, you have the confidence that God's gonna give you his power. But I'm not walking the same way you're walking. Look, I believe that God answers prayer and God answers all of our prayers. He answers the prayers that we ask him. But so many times we don't ask. And as we approach prayer today on day 22, I just want you to think about four ways to get prayers answered, okay? Four secrets to answered prayers. First of all, as you pray, I want you to pray as like you know that God will answer. That's called faith. I want you to pray as if you know, yes, God, you're gonna answer this. Uh, approach God saying, God, I'm expecting you to do this. I'm expecting you to answer this prayer because of who you are. I'm expecting you to answer this prayer because, God, you are a faithful God. You are a great God. You are a loving God. You are a wonderful God. You can handle this problem. That's how we should pray. That's how Nehemiah prayed. Next verse. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love, of love to those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice what Nehemiah says. 
He says, you are great. When he is saying that you are great, he is talking about God's position. God's position. We do this when we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. Our Father is great. He is in heaven. He is in a place of authority. He is great. That's God's position. He said, you're awesome. That shows you his power. That when we see his power, we are awestruck by his abilities. He is awesome. And the third thing Nehemiah said, and you keep your promises. He is speaking about God's covenant. And the very first thing that Nehemiah did, he's acknowledging who God is. He is praising God. He's acknowledging uh, God's greatness. Have you ever wondered why that when you walk through these doors and you come into this service that we all, we more, uh, we begin this service by singing songs. And uh, most of the time, those songs are songs that praise God, that lift up God. Now, you've got to understand that that section of the service is not just the warm-up for something else later on. But that section of the service is important for all of us to be involved in. We call that section of the service, if you're new to church, we call that section praise and worship. And the reason praise is important is that when we start to praise God that you are great, you're awesome, you're uh, full of wisdom, and we start to uh, praise him for his greatness, what happens? It changes our perspective. It starts, it allows us to see who God is. And you know what else? When we offer praise he comes, the Bible says he lives in those praises. The Old Testament says he inhabits those praises. So when we begin to praise him, his presence rests upon us. When his presence rests upon us, uh, we move from praise, God, we thank you for your greatness, to worship, for we see him who he is in his holiness, that he is special, he is set apart. We enter into that, that connection, that worship. And so it is so important that it's not just the beginning of a service. That's why throughout this week, it is important for you to do what Todd said, to, uh, to subscribe to the podcast, to listen to these songs uh, throughout the week. And it'll get them in your spirit that when we come in next week and if we sing that this is a house of miracles, that that is already in your spirit and it is raising your faith that yes, this is a place where we see God move. This is a place where your lives can be changed. This is a place where miracles happen. And when you take the time to subscribe to that podcast and you get the word in you, that when you move into his presence, uh, uh, you, you move in with a faith, believing that God is going to do what he's promised that he would do. So we pray like, no, God will answer. Here's the second thing. We need to, to uh, confess the sin in our lives. Confess the sin in your life. See, it. Uh, Nehemiah acknowledges that the Jews had sinned. They had disobeyed God. And as a result, God said, you know, if you don't obey me, you're going to lose what you have. If you don't obey me, you're going to lose this land. And that's what happened. They didn't obey God. They lost their land. They lost their temple. They lost their homes. They were taken into captivity. 
When we live out our lives in disobedience to God, it's going to cost us something. It may cost you your joy. It may cost you your peace. It may cost you physically. They understood that. And Nehemiah was uh, approaching God and said, God, come. And and we confess our sins. Uh, We have made mistakes, God. Next verse, he said, let your ear be attentive and your eyes uh, uh, be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Notice this. He said, I confess the sins, we Israelites. I confess the sins, we Israelites, um, including myself, notice this, and my father's family have committed against you. So we have acted very wickedly. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees. We have not obeyed the laws that you gave uh, your servant Moses. And so what Nehemiah is doing, he's confessing his sin. He said, God, please forgive me what I've done. We are very comfortable with that, okay? Because we live in America and we are very individualistic, okay? And so we're comfortable in owning our mistake. Yes, I I made a mistake. But here, Nehemiah is setting a pattern. Uh, God, forgive me for my sins, but also for my dad and my grandfather and my great-grandfather. Forgive that the sin of our family. Forgive the sin of our land. If we were to follow in Nehemiah's footsteps, we would be praying, God, forgive the sin of our families. Forgive the sin of America. God, forgive us for every unborn baby that that we abort and that we're okay with that. God, forgive us for supporting things like that. This week, especially, we're reminded of Right to Life Sunday on January 20, I mean, uh, January 22nd on the day Roe v. Wade was enacted. God, forgive us for that. We confess our sins. When was the last time you confessed your sin? When was the last time that you have taken an assessment of your life and said, God, I am sorry that I did this I am sorry that my family did this. God, I am sorry that as a nation we've done this. Confess. That's what Nehemiah was. He, he took it upon himself to do that. The third thing, he, he claimed the promises of God. We see this in the next verse. Remember, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying that if, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you... If you return to me, notice this, if you return to me, if you obey my commands, then even if I've exiled people from the farthest horizon, this is what I'm going to do. If you'll just return, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to gather them from there, and I'm going to bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling place for my, my name. Here's what I want you to understand in this, uh, in this season of our lives. That it doesn't matter how far you have uh, wandered away. 
It doesn't matter that you've drifted. It doesn't matter what you've done. God says, if you'll return to me, I will gather you back from where the furthest places where you've gone, the the deepest sin that you've been a, a part of. I will gather you back and I will bring you back home. God, help us. Help us to pray those prayers, those prayers of confession. Did you hear about the story about the guy that died and went to heaven? And when he got to heaven, he found warehouses filled with good things in them. The guy noticed that there's a tag on every box, and some of them were spiritual blessings, some of them were relationships, cars, houses, just boxes and boxes of all these good things, and every box had a tag on it. And that tag, when he looked at it, said the same thing on every box. It said, never ask for. Never ask for. How many blessings does God have in store for you and for your family, but you've never taken the time to ask him for them? This is the message of James chapter 4 and verse verse 2. Almost couldn't get that number two out there. Verse two, it says, you have not because you do not ask. God is calling us to to ask him. Takes us to our fourth and final point, to be very specific in what you ask for. I always encourage this, to be specific. What do you want God to do in your life? Be specific. I mean, I believe God answers general prayers, but I'm telling you, I think God sits on the edge of his seat when you start asking specific prayers. That's what Nehemiah does in the next verse, verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. Listen to this, Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant. God, I need you to be attentive to my prayer to this, your servant, And to the prayer of your servants, all of us, who delight. God, give us, listen to this, give your servants success today. Give your servants success today by granting them favor in the presence of the Lord. Give your servants today favor, success today by granting them favor in the presence of this man. Okay, he is praying this prayer because... He is preparing to go before the king of Persia to ask for help. And he is being very specific. You've got to understand, Nehemiah had been praying this prayer not for uh, one day or two days, not even for 21 days. This isn't day 22 for Nehemiah. Nehemiah had been praying this prayer for four months. Over and over, every week, he had been offering this prayer. Every month, for four months, he had been praying, God, give your servant success today. God, give your servant favor in the presence of the king. Give your servant success. Nehemiah needed the king's permission in order to go back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the wall. And so right now he spent four months praying for God to give him favor in the king's presence. 
He said, give me, grant me success. Because he knew that the king had the power of life and death. He could just look at the king uh, wrong and the king could sentence him to die. So he took four months. Some of you have been praying for 21 days for one of the cards that you filled out. And every day over the last three weeks you've been praying. I'm asking you on day 22 to continue to pray. To continue to believe. And to ask God, God, grant me success. Lord, make me successful. That's what Nehemiah prayed. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, make me successful. If you haven't, why not? Why not? We're following an example of Nehemiah. Nehemiah prayed for success. There's nothing wrong with praying for success when you're willing to give God glory for it. If I cannot ask God to bless what I'm doing, then I need to start doing something else. And if you cannot ask God to bless what you're doing with the work of your hands, then my goodness, you need to start doing something else. This is just a sample of prayer that Nehemiah had been praying for four months. I think when you start to pray that long, I would imagine it's probably not the same prayer. I would imagine he started off praying it was much different. God often uses times like that to help clarify your, uh, your, uh, your mind and clarify the situation. Help you to understand really what's going on. God is leading you through a point where he is bringing you to pray in his will and in his spirit. Because you see, God wants to throw open the windows of heaven and God wants to pour out blessings on you. So what do you need God to do? What do you need God to do in your life? What is that thing, that specific prayer that you have? What is that need? What is that thing that breaks your heart? What is that need thing that, that makes you cry at night? What is that need that you have? We are sitting here in the presence of the Lord, the Most High God. And he is saying to you, call on me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not see. Today, we are going to call on the name of the Lord. Today, we are going to call and we're going to say, come God, move in us. So what do you need God to do? In our South Campus, what do you need the Lord to do in your life? I want you to be specific. In our atrium, what do you need God to do in your life? Those watching online, those watching on demand, what do you need God to do today? I want you to be specific, and we're going to pray, and we're going to believe that God is going to move in this place, and that this place is going to be a house of miracles. Okay? I want you to stand together, and I'm going to pray over you. But we often pray and we use words to pray, okay? But today, I'm gonna to encourage you to use your body language as a part of your prayer posture. And here's what I'm talking about. Oftentimes, when I am praying and I need God to move in my life, I will use my arms like this and I'll put it down. And this is body language saying, God, I receive what you have for me.
I receive what. So as I pray over you, I want you to receive what God has for you. Now, at the conclusion of this prayer, uh, Todd's going to come and sing here. Caleb is going to come in our South Campus and lead you in a song. After that, if you would like to be anointed with oil, you can come forward and I'm going to lay hands on you and we're going to believe that God's going to touch you. The Bible says, uh, anoint them with oil and let the prayer of faith. Now, here's what you need to know. Uh, I have antibodies and so praise the Lord for that. But I am going to be wearing a mask in addition to that. Um, And so we're going to pray over you and I'm going to uh, take oil. There's nothing magic in the oil. The Bible says, anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And I'm going to touch your hands. And so you've got to understand that. And we're going to believe that God's going to do a work in you. Now, there's going to be prayer stations at every, both windows right here. We also have a private room across the lobby. If you need that extra specific prayer, that we're going to do that. And we're going to believe that God's going to do a work here and in our South Campus, okay? So are you ready to receive? What is it that you need the Lord to do? I want you to think about that now, right now. That thing, that thing, what is it? That thing that you're saying, God, make me, make me successful in this. It may be a relationship. It may be a new job. It may be in using your spiritual gifts. What is that thing? It may be a crisis, whatever that thing is. It may be a sickness. I want to pray. Are you ready to receive? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over the people in this room. I pray over our South Campus. I pray over our atrium, those watching at home. Let the power of the Holy Spirit rest upon this place. God, we receive what you have for us. God, I pray that you would bring healing. God, for those that are struggling with cancer, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would be healed. For those of you that are suffering from lingering effects of COVID-19, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would be healed completely. I pray, Father, for those relationships that have dissolved I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd bring healing. I pray, Father, for those individuals that are covered in worry, they're covered in fear. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would be free. We, in the spiritual realm, we push back the darkness and we pray this over your life that nobody but Jesus is gonna run your life. Satan has no authority over your life. We push back the darkness in Jesus' name. I pray for those standing in the gap for a prodigal. And we pray in the name of Jesus that we push back the darkness that's, uh, that's controlling that situation and we declare freedom in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those that are struggling financially, those that are struggling to make their rent payment. I ask God that you would make a way where there seems to be no way. I ask God that you'd bring resources from unexpected places. Those struggling to make a mortgage payment, God, come and, and show yourself faithful. So Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. So we thank you. 
and we receive. Say that, God, I receive. I receive what you have for me in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.